0: Amen. You glad to be in church today? It's been a great day already, hasn't it? If you have a Bible, meet me in Romans chapter one. We're going to continue. This is part number two of a series that we're doing through the book of Romans called When in Romans. I want to start with the reading of God's word today, and we're going to start in Romans chapter one. Verse 18, I want to remind you that last week what we talked about was the fact that Paul was not ashamed of the gospel because it was the power of God unto salvation. Let's not lose that reality as we keep moving our way in one of the things that we need to know is that romans was a sermon it was a letter and it all goes together and if you pull any part of romans out by itself you're going to find yourself in trouble all right so we want to keep that in mind but i want to encourage you to follow along so if you have a phone or you can watch on the screen um, I don't have all my stuff on the screen for you today. I want to kind of read through it and then I kind of want to ditch the screen and I want to have a conversation with you uh, about what is an extremely important passage of scripture, important in our moment. I think it's always been important, but in our particular moment, this section of scripture is very, very important. So let's dial in here. At the reading of God's word, because what I have to say after this uh, pales in comparison to the power of what is written on these pages. Here's what the scripture says for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness. So that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Just put a note out to the side. We call that idolatry. And it can be any number of things. Verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. Impurity. To the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And worshipped and served the creature. Rather than the creator. Who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God for the third time now, God gave them up Inventors of evil. And if you haven't made the list yet, here you go. Disobedient to parents. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Jumping into chapter two, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. So in other words, if you read that and you thought about other people, this part's for you (laughs) and me. It's for us. (laughs) Man. Because you, the judge, you feel the sarcasm there, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God falls rightly on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath. When God's righteous judgment will be revealed. This is God's word. Amen. We're going to spend at least two weeks on this portion because what I want to say today couldn't possibly capture everything. And even what I say next week between the two is not going to capture everything that is Densely packed in these opening words of Paul's letter to the church in Rome. Very, very important for us, especially in our secular moment. But before we dive into all of that, I want to help us zoom out a little bit and take a deep breath. Because that's some heavy, heavyweight scripture passage for us to consider this morning. And we want to do it well But I want to zoom out and look at what I opened with that. You can't take this out of the context of all of Romans. That would be dreadful to what's happening here. You see, because the first three, if if you were going to diagnose Romans into three sections, which I think is helpful for us to think about it well. You would need to look at the first three chapters of the book of Romans as a diagnosis. The first three chapters of Romans are diagnosing our human condition. It's saying this is where we're at as a humanity. But if we were to stop there, that would be a tragic letter that Paul wrote, wouldn't it? You see, because when you move into the second section of Romans chapters four through eleven, there comes a great deliverance. Are you tracking with me? After a diagnosis, bad news, if you will, there comes good news. The word gospel in the Greek language simply means good news. And so after this diagnosis. Piercing diagnosis, I might add, comes deliverance. See, can you imagine if what we just read that never got to Romans 8, right? So you have to read this in light of Romans 8. There is therefore now how much condemnation, church? Come on. No condemnation for those who are in Christ. Let's not make the mistake of picking out one or two of the sins that are found here in Romans one and saying, see, it's those bad people. When in reality, what chapters one through three is doing is making sure all of us recognize what Romans chapter three is going to tell us in a couple of weeks for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, we need a full diagnosis to have a full understanding and feel the full weight of the grace of God poured out into your life. If you're not a Christian today, today's a great day for you to be in church. Every day's a great day for you to be in church. But especially this one, because listen, what I want to say to you is, is we love you enough here to tell you the truth. Right? The theme that was happening in Romans 1 is this suppression and this deviation from what is true. Man, what a tragedy if you would go through life and the church of Jesus Christ would never stand up and say, No, 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 there's something so much better for you than what you are experiencing in the world. What seems like joy is veiled. (laughs) Because we are worshiping our created selves instead of our creator. Critically important as we come to this, because then you get to chapters 12 to 16. And the third section of Romans is is a description of what it looks like to live out this new reality. You see, because when you are diagnosed and then delivered from that gravity of sin. Everything's different. Everything's different. See, when grace goes in, it always comes out. Critically important because the end of chapter one and the beginning of chapter two are telling us what we deserve for our actions as a collective humanity. In deviating from what God made us for. And listen. Can we just. Agree and understand that that's all of us. Like that's not one political party or another. That's not one sin over another. That's not one denomination over another. That's not non-denoms. That's not any of those things. It is a human thing to be a sinner and to fall short of the glory of God. That is every single one of us. You go back to the Old Testament. There is none righteous, no, not one. Paul quotes that. Psalm 51, all of us fall into that. You've heard me say before, if you've been around here at any length of time, at the foot of the cross, the whole playing field is level. So important for us because we have so clearly walked away from God's desires and intentions for his creation. I just want to be really clear at the start that this is not a finger-pointing session at the world. This is not an us versus them. This is a we are humanity and God has graciously set in motion a rescue plan for a world that has walked from his desires and intentions for his created world. Super important. Because none of it can be divorced from each other. We have to see the whole big picture. So let's be good stewards of the text and not read into it something that isn't there. Let me just let me. Point in even further, because what I think the temptation is, is for us to read Romans one and say, this is a text about homosexuality and it's not. That is one example of what happens when you suppress the truth. There is a brokenness to the created order that God has made. But they are not the enemy. And if you struggle with that today, hear me say, you are not the enemy of Romans chapter 1. God loves you and he gave Jesus for you and he's going to redeem you. And there is an eternity that will be so much longer and better than the broken experience that we have in this world. God loves you beyond your comprehension. And I could say that for every single one of these sins. see, because there's some of you that have been angry for a long time and you're in this chapter. And I want you to know that God loves you and he has broken the power of sin in your life. Some of you are addicted to a substance and I want you to know that God loves you and he's not ashamed of you and he died for you. And we could go on and on and on. And I just want you to know that at the foot of the cross, everything is equal. And Paul is helping us come to grips with that. And I think he does it in a really helpful way. And we're going to come back to some of the stuff next week. But what I want to do today is there are two exchanges that take place in the human condition that you and I have to be aware of. And Paul states them very clearly here. And it's what I want to go with This morning and think through with him, because what Paul's doing is just pulling back the curtain on our depravity. And that's just a weighty way to say that we're sinners. But we need a clear view of that. We need a clear view of that. And so Paul does it through talking about these two different exchanges. Exchange number one, if you're writing these down. You want to think about them in the future. Exchange number one in verse 23 says that we traded the transcendence of the creator for the imminence of created things. In other words, we settled. We settled for worshiping the things that God made for us to enjoy instead of enjoying them in light of how good of a God we have. Over and over and over we do this. It's so interesting to me that Paul diagnoses this this exchange as us claiming to be wise. We became fools. And one of the ways in that culture and in this culture, and I think it's why he jumps into it here, is that one of the first ways that when we suppress the truth of what God made... One of the quickest ways in our fleshly desires is human sexuality for that to deviate from what God made. It's one of our strongest desires. It's one of the things God gave us. It's one of the things God gave to his kids for joy and pleasure. And it pictures the intimacy that God has with his church. There are a few people in this life that I would give my life for. But at the top of that list is Camden Coon. It's not even hard. Like some of you, I'd have to think about it. <laughs> Love you. But I'm trying to be honest with you today, right? I mean, the text calls me to be honest here. I'm joking, of course, but kind of not, right? Like you understand, right? Are you tracking with me? Like if Camden's over here and you're over here and I get to choose, I'm going to go with Cam, right? So like we understand that, right? And so when we're thinking about what God's gifts are to his world, there are so many like that. where God has given us something and Satan's created a counterfeit over here and said, no, 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 this is how you can enjoy that. But listen, scripture says there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Sin always overpromises and underdelivers every single time. But this exchange of worshiping the created things rather than the creator will always lead you to a deviant view of life. And I use the word deviant on purpose because there are things that are clearly when we make that trade, we end up walking from true reality into a counterfeit one. Every culture that there's ever been has struggled with this reality. And I'm not just talking about sexual things. I'm talking about just in general That we want to choose to worship created things instead of our creator. It happens. It happens in middle school. It happens in high school. It happens when you're a senior. And everywhere in between. We have fleshly desires in us. That what's the scripture say? Daily need to be crucified. Man how's that going? If that war... Ra- raging around you that spiritual war in that invisible realm is happening and i believe you believe that to be true then oh my goodness how much more should we be up daily crucifying our flesh it's a reality that we need to know and talk about paul clearly is laying this out there in 18 to 23 The problem, though, listen to me, this is important. The problem, though, and this is where I think a lot of us get stuck, is the problem is not just wrong behavior. Wrong behavior is downstream from wrong thinking. Wrong belief, right? What did last week end with? The righteous will live by what? Faith. Faith in whom? Jesus, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. There is a way that is beautiful and joyful and good and true and life and beauty. All of that's available, but it comes through Jesus. And so to deviate from any of that means you're going to experience the counterfeit side of Life, So it's not just the wrong behavior, right? You can stop doing those behaviors in willpower and never experience the life God made for you. It's wrong thinking that leads to wrong behavior. It's what Paul in this text calls the suppression of truth. The suppression of truth in verse 18. And it leads to a refusal to acknowledge what we know in verse 21. That's exchange number one. Trading in the transcendence of our creator, the worship of our God for lesser things. Exchange number two, according to Paul and his diagnosing our moment here. Was to trade the truth of God for a lie. To trade the truth of God for a lie. And listen, when the world or we trade the truth for a lie, our worship always gets wonky. (laughs) It just does. We can't help it. We end up thinking about lots of different things that matter so much less than the worship of our God. And what happens is that leads us into a place where we stop trusting God and then anxiety comes and depression comes and all these things come that are part of this broken order. When we come back and say, no, no, no. What is true? What is true about God? What is true about the world God made? What is true about my relationship with God and with other people? Critically important for us. Everything in life is a worship issue. Here's why, because when I, when you, when we become the center of reality, everything goes wrong. We can't be the center. If the world orbits around Mitch, everybody around Mitch is going to suffer because nobody can live up to that. When the world orbits around you, you'll never have a good church experience. You'll never have a good family experience. Your kids will never measure up. Your coworkers will never measure up. You'll never be satisfied because you weren't made to carry God's weight. Your life, my life, our life together has to start with Jesus in the center. That's why we say we love because He first loved us. Jesus is the vision of everything. It's all about Jesus all the time. And if we get off of that and we pick something else that is peripheral to him being the center, we get wonky. (laughs) We get off track. And listen, chasing, let me say it to another way, chasing our desires never ends in happiness. It just doesn't. It doesn't end in happiness in worship style. It doesn't end in happiness in my raising of children. It doesn't end up in me having a better marriage. It doesn't end up in me having more friends. In fact, it will repel all of those people from you and from me and from us. So, so important because choosing our sin never satisfies. It never delivers on its promise. And what's sobering here, and we have to be honest with the text, is that there are penalties for those errors there are what what paul says are due penalties for our sin those are real we we teach our kids at home that there there are some natural consequences to the decisions that you make so when you walk into school in first grade fourth grade fifth grade 10th grade 12th grade college When you take a job as a young adult, when you work a job for 30 years as an adult, when you start to raise your own kids, all of the decisions we make in this broken world affect everybody around us and affect us. And so it's sobering, isn't it? There's a sobering aspect to this that the decisions I make affect other people because just like we want you to be in a city group because you need people, the same is true about your decision making. We are connected. We can't help it. And it matters. So big. Because the net result of that is that God didn't create robots, right? I think I think the first thing that jumps to all of our mind is then why did God make it that way? Why Why are we even allowed to make the choice, right? Like why were Adam and Eve even allowed to make the wrong choice in the first place? Because God doesn't go against his character. He created man and woman in his own image. And with that, they had the ability to think and reason. And we could unpack that for a long time and maybe we will some other time. But the reality is, is he didn't create robots. He created humans in his own image. And we have a choice And we have a choice to make these exchanges or not. And the scriptures tell us that God, at a point, will give us up to those choices. What a grievous passage. What a grievous thing to think that I would deviate, I would walk away so far that God would look at me and feel like he had to give me up to that. If there was ever a call for us to participate in Lent <laughs> this year, it would be that, wouldn't it? I'll talk about that more in a minute. And then that. Statement, we're without excuse before God. I think we need somebody to help us think this through, right? So N.T. Wright summarizes the whole thought process like this. Just listen to this. The thought here that Paul has moves from an explanation and denunciation of idolatry to an explanation and denunciation of the fracturing of human life that results from it. That's really what's happening here is our idolatry leads to a fracturing of human life. And when we look at the arc of humanity, that's happened over... Right, We always say history repeats itself, right? We could just march through history and look at the fracturing of human life that came from idolatry. Because think about it. Sin is living in a less than fully human fashion. It's literally missing the mark of God's intentions for his creation. In other words, it's the result of worshiping anything other than God. That's a lot already. But I want to go just one more thing deep with you. Because if we're honest and thoughtful readers here, there is one, even in our own society, in our own minds and hearts. There's still a phrase that I haven't talked about. That at the minimum makes us feel uncomfortable. As if that all didn't make you feel uncomfortable. But if we're honest and thoughtful here, what, what, what we have to come back to is where Paul started after 16 and 17, which are glorious. He transitioned into 18 and said that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. Against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. I don't doubt that there are at least a handful of us in this room, maybe watching online, there's more, that you grew up with a view that God was an angry man in the sky who was just full of wrath. And this is where, when you come to a text like Romans 1, specifically verse 18, And you come to that, if you pluck that out of all of Romans, you're in trouble. It's like being called to the principal's office, except it has eternal consequences. The wrath of God, to be sure, is revealed from heaven against these things. But what I want to encourage you to do is in the context of all of Romans, I want you to read what it actually says with me. So, Jordan, if you'll put Romans one eighteen back up there, let's read what it actually says. It says for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Check. Got it. He is not going to work against his character. He hates sin and he hates what has deviated from the truth of what he created. He can't not. But listen. Against what it does not say against his creatures, does it? No, no, no. Listen to what it says. It says against all of the ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men. This is so important. And this matters because if God was mad at the men and the women who did the act he would have done another flood. Well, he couldn't. He promised not to. So he'd like something else. Uh, you pick one. Fire. That scares me, man. I don't want to die like that. <laughs> floor is lava. Bam. But what did he do? He didn't create the floor is lava. What did he do? He sent his son. See, that's where Romans 8 can't come without Romans 1. God does have wrath against ungodliness and unrighteousness. But rather than obliterate us all, he sent his son. That's why Paul at the end of Romans 8 says, what can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? And to make a very long list short, nothing. The wrath of God is being revealed against ungodliness and righteousness. Let's have N.T. Wright help us here again. Here's what he says. He says the entire body of Paul's work and theology in the New Testament is grounded In the scripturally rooted view that the creator God is neither a tyrannical despot nor an indulgent, laissez-faire, absentee landlord. He's not either one of those. He's not a tyrant full of wrath and he's not a lazy landlord who's unengaged. He's neither one. Here's what he is, according to N.T. Wright. God is the creator and lover of the world. This God has a passionate concern for his creation. Humans in particular that will tolerate nothing less than the best for them. This is the right view of Romans 1. We're going to unpack some more of that next week, but this is critically important that when you read the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness, so important that that does not mean that he's going to wipe you off the earth tonight. Because he's angry with you. No, 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 no. He's angry. That we have ever had to live in a fashion that he never intended us to live. And he's so upset about it that he stepped out of the splendors of heaven. To come and make it right for you and I. So that we could live in unity. Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever with his son. So when we sing about Jesus being the light. When we talk about him being the way, the truth, the life. These are the things, these are the images I want to come into your mind. That he was so upset about brokenness that he came for you and me. There's no religion like that in the world. There's nothing else like this in the world. God is both active in his wrath against sin, but he is also active in his plan to rescue people from their sin. Let me finish with a note of encouragement to you, though, because what I want you to know is that light is breaking through the darkness all the time. See, you can also go to a text like this and be like, not much to get excited about. But think about this. God's wrath is being revealed against heaven, against all ungodliness, but simultaneously The light is breaking through the cracks of darkness. Every good human thing, whether they know it or not, is light breaking through the darkness. Life and beauty, as God intended it, is happening all around us. And we are experiencing it. Let me just tell you a few. In our congregation, as we speak, it's the birth of a baby. It's the marriage of two people before God. I mean, I look at the two of you and it's like right here, right here. God bringing light in the world. Standing in a hospital room as you have just given birth. That is life breaking into the world. It's God's dogs on Tuesday night taking what is wrong in the world and saying, no, we're going to fight that. It's sending lots of money to Cambodia because we're saying, No, God does want to move your church forward. It's taking lots of money over to a church in Brandon and saying, No, God wants you to continue. It's investing money in this building. It's because we look around and we say, No, God wants to keep doing what He's been doing for a hundred years right here. It's everywhere. It's going to a city group and putting your hands on your friend and praying for them that God would obliterate their financial need and then giving to their financial need. It's putting your hands on somebody in a city group and praying that their child who walked away from God would return. That's light breaking through the darkness. It's having people put their arms around you when you lose a loved one or you lose a child or you lose something. And them saying, no, 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 that is what's wrong with the world. But Jesus is going to right every wrong. It's looking your friend in the eye and praying over them when they tell you what they're struggling with. Light is breaking through the darkness every single day of the week around the world, through God's church. You gather here right now, and when we sing that song that we sang before I got up here and started running my mouth, that's light breaking through the darkness. It's heaven coming on earth as it is in heaven. It's happening all around us. And one practical way, and I do want to land here, is the practice of Lent. So on Wednesday, Wednesday morning here at the church, we're going to gather. And I want to invite you to come and V3 is going to lead us through a Lenten service. And I think it's important for us in this moment. Lent was formalized at the Council of Nicaea in 325. So this has been going on a long time. So if you're concerned that it's a Catholic thing, it's not. (laughs) Was before that. When Catholic meant universal church. So you're safe. Okay, you can can come and do it. If you're a good Baptist, you're like... (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be all right. I'll be there too. We're going to do this together. But if you are wondering i mean if you go google lent you're gonna find like i googled it this morning just out of curiosity and the first thing that came up was good housekeeping's guide to lent and i'm like don't <laughs> like, tell, tell me what i don't want to know about lent sorry if you're right for good housekeeping i love you and there are a lot of other things that are good me get myself in trouble if i keep going let's just stick to my notes here <laughs> lent Is 40 days long. And that should feel like a long time to you. It's the six weeks that lead up to Easter. This year, Lent begins on Ash Wednesday, February 14th, 2024. And while Advent is that joyful time of anticipation for the Lord's coming. Lent is a season of sober observance. Lent is an invitation to draw closer to God through prayer, repentance, and self-examination. The Lenten season is a time of soul preparation for remembering what's coming in the death, the burial, and then the glorious resurrection of Jesus. Lent begins with a day of remembering our humanity. That's what Ash Wednesday is all about. And our need for repentance And then we symbolize that with ashes from last year's Palm Sunday when we traded in, right, the creator for created things. And those are the ashes that get put on the forehead in the sign of a cross. There are seasons to the church, to the life of the church. And I just want to invite you to get into those seasons and orient your life. This is how we get ourselves out of the center of the orbit and into Jesus at the center. I say all that to say this. James chapter 4, verse 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It doesn't stop there. It says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lent is the participatory, visible reality of Romans 1. It's the church for centuries saying, let's acknowledge in our humanity that we need a Savior Let's turn from our sins and turn back to God. So I hope you'll consider it if you have time to be here on Wednesday morning. You can find the, the info in the happenings if you scan that QR code and also in your emails this past Friday. But it's going to be an important part of us getting in rhythm with the Spirit of God. But we've got to finish with a song. So I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And I hope what you'll do as we sing this song... And I hope you'll listen to the words and not just sing, but I hope you'll be encouraged by the words that we sing. Because what can be another temptation here is for you to look at everything that I just talked about and say, oh man, I've got a lot to work on. And that may be true, but the point is not to look at how small we are, but the point is to look at how big God is. And so when we sing songs like great are you, Lord, it has profound implications on the life that you live as soon as you step out of here. See, because what what we're going to do is you can stand with me. We're going to sing here in a second. See, there's a temptation to walk out of here because it's Super Bowl Sunday and be like, is T-Swift going to make it to Vegas? And you're going to be tempted to start trading in those created things. I'm joking, of course, but the reality is, is there's so many things that distract us in this life, isn't there? There just is. It's part of being human. But the invitation every time we get back together in here is to remember how great our God is. Amen. And so just before you step out and get back into the busyness of life, I just want you to take this moment and talk to him. Use this song as a prayer to him. Just declare it over your life. Maybe you need to put your hand on your kid and just declare it over them. Put it on your spouse. Maybe you're single today. Just put your hand on your heart and declare it over your life that God is greater than whatever it is that you are facing. And that's not just a platitude. It's real. He loves you, he cares for you deeply. And he wants to be with you. Part of that is to turn from our sin. If that's you today, I just want to invite you, right where you're at, you can come kneel at the front. Jerome Rowe or Pastor Tim in the back. We would love to pray with you if that's what you need. We want to. We don't have time to waste time anymore, do we? Like we're past that. We're in a passionate pursuit to follow Jesus. Whatever that looks like. Because he's great. He's worth it. Amen. So come on, let's sing this out. Let's pray. And let's do business with God here today. Because he's our good father. We want more of him, less of us. Come on church, let's sing.